morning, as we look at the message, we're going to be continuing in our study of Joshua. And this, this theme of Joshua is God fights for his people. And so this week we find ourselves in Joshua chapter 5, where we're really going to start seeing the Lord literally fighting for his people, which is absolutely incredible to behold. I mean, we've seen it with the Jordan River and the provision and things like that, but now we're getting into some of the actual battles where this becomes a very literal God fights for his people. And so if you will, I'd like to read from Joshua 5 and then we're going to pray. And you'll remember verse 1, we read Joshua 5, 1 was part of the last sermon in this series. So the, the first verse should serve as hopefully a reminder of where we were and where we're going now. 5, 1. As soon as all the kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to the west, and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea, heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan for the people of Israel until they had crossed over, their hearts melted and there was no longer any spirit in them because of the people of Israel. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, Make flint knives and circumcise the sons of Israel a second time. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the sons of Israel at Gibeath Haraloth. And this is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. All the males of the people who came out of Egypt, all the men of war, had died in the wilderness on the way after they had come out of Egypt. Though all the people who came out had been circumcised, yet all the people who were born on the way in the wilderness after they had gone out of Egypt had not been circumcised. For the people of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness until all the nation, the men of war who came out of Egypt, perished because they did not obey the voice of the Lord. The Lord swore to them that he would not let them see the land that the Lord had sworn to their fathers to give to us, a land flowing with milk and honey. So it was their children whom he raised up in their place that Joshua circumcised, for they were uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. When the circumcising of the whole nation was finished, they remained in their places in the camp until they were healed. And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you, and so the name of that place is called Gilgal to this day. While the people of Israel were encamped at Gilgal, they kept the Passover on the fourteenth day of the month in the evening on the plains of Jericho. And the day after the Passover, on that very day, they ate of the produce of the land, unleavened cakes and parched grain. And the manna ceased the day after they ate of the produce of the land, and there was no longer manna for the people of Israel, but they ate of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said, Are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, No, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Please join me in prayer. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth that we find in it, for how it's alive and active and it cuts through in our lives. God, so today in this time, in these next few moments, use your word to cut through in our lives, cut to our heart. Speak to us, God. Let this not be for me in any way, shape, or form. Let this be an act of worship as we continue to offer ourselves to you, as we present ourselves to you. Lord, we want to look like Jesus. We want to know you. We want to proclaim you to the nations. May this time be an offering pleasing to you. Teach us, God. We need you to teach us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
So we just read all of Joshua 5, and now we're going to look at some verses. We're going to go back through the chapter, and we're going to look at piece by piece what we see in this chapter, because we see just absolutely incredible truths about who God is and what He is doing. And the first thing we see in Joshua 5, I want to reread verses 6 and 7. For the people of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness until all the nation, the men of war who came out of Egypt, perished because they did not obey the voice of the Lord. The Lord swore to them that he would not let them see the land that the Lord had sworn to their fathers to give to us, a land flowing with milk and honey. So it was their children whom he raised up in their place that Joshua circumcised, for they were uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised along the way. What's the first thing we see? Those verses are so encouraging to me. Those two verses mean so much in my walk with God and my fellowship with Him as I'm striving to look like Jesus. Why? What's the first thing about those verses that stands out to me? Well, it's that God is sovereign in His plans and is always working. I mean, always perpetually at work for His plans, for His glory. Consider these passages. This is Psalm 2, 1 through 6. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast their cords away from us. So God's got a plan. The rulers of the earth, they sit and they plot and they rage and they say, this is what we're going to do against God's plans and purposes. And what's verse 4 say? He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. Psalm, uh, Isaiah 14, 24 through 27. The Lord of hosts has sworn, as I have planned, so shall it be. And as I have purposed, so shall it stand, that I will break the Assyrian in my land. And on my mountains trample him underfoot, and his yoke shall depart from them, and his burden from their shoulder. This is the purpose that is purposed concerning the whole earth, and this is the hand that is stretched out over all the nations. For the Lord of hosts has purposed, and who will annul it? His hand is stretched out, and who will turn it back? Consider Job 42, 1 through 2. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things, and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Jesus speaking in John 5, 16 through 17. Listen to how he replies. John 5, 16 through 17, and this is why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, my father is working until now, and I am working. See, they tried to tell God, they tried to tell Jesus, hey, here are the restraints we are going to place on your work, on your purposes, on your plans. These are the limitations we are going to set on you. And Jesus says, no, it doesn't work that way. We see throughout Scripture in Psalm and Isaiah and Job this truth over and over again that God is at work and nobody gets to tell Him how that goes. Nobody gets to thwart Him in His plans. So let's bring this back to Joshua 5, 6 through 7. Why does this, how does this connect together? Why is this encouraging to me? Well, because what I see in those two verses is that my weakness does not derail God's plan. I'm not perfect. I think of conversations I've blown. I think of opportunities I've missed. I think of times where I haven't acted lovingly towards my neighbors, where I've been disrespectful towards my bosses, where I've been lazy at work, where I've been negligent in my own life. I think of times where I have been weak, where it could be said of me that I was the people who did not obey the voice of the Lord. 
And then I read these verses and I'm reminded, okay, well, my weakness does not derail the plans of God. And that is such an encouragement to know that, because think about it, because we could easily slip into this spiral of guilt and shame, right? This is my friend Rick. I know Rick at work. Rick doesn't know Jesus. Rick comes to me the one day and he's like, hey man, I'm really hurting. I'm really this. I'm really that. And it's very clearly an open door to tell him about Jesus. And I say, I've got enough going on in my own life. Somebody else can deal with that later. And then years later, I look back and I say, man, Rick, Rick moved out of state shortly after that. I never had that conversation with Rick. I don't know if Rick is saved. I can't believe I blew it. Rick can't be saved now because I was weak in this moment. No, this verse reminds us that in our weakness, God's plan is not derailed. It says, yes, this people perished because they did not obey the voice of the Lord. But then it goes on to say, so the children were circumcised whom he raised up in their place. And I think that's a powerful reminder to us. But then I think it's also, it's further, not an, it's a further an encouragement to us because not just does my weakness, my weakness cannot derail God's plans. Your weakness, our weakness cannot thwart the plans of the Lord. But also be encouraged that God can raise up anyone and can raise you up. And I think these verses are also encouraging because they deal with an excuse that we're so tempted to make in our own lives. We blame it on our heritage. We blame it on our legacy. Well, my parents didn't raise me up to be a disciple of Jesus because their parents didn't raise them up to be a disciple of Jesus. And we blame this on this inherited mindset, right? I inherited this. This is the situation I was born into. This is the situation I find myself placed in. I can't do anything because of what has come before me. No, be the first. Maybe you do. Maybe you come from a lineage and a heritage where nobody in your family has been a disciple of Jesus. So you can't say, I was trained this generation after generation. Okay, well then be the first. What does God say? He says, who I raised up in their place. They didn't raise themselves up. God says, this is my plan. My plan and purpose is to give Israel the promised land. You disobeyed? Okay, I'll raise them up in your place. So one, take heart, because even in our weak moments, even when we have missed the opportunities, God's plan is not thwarted. And then two, take heart and be encouraged, because even if you can't look back on a heritage of following Jesus, that doesn't mean you can't be the people who God raises up in their place. And these verses are such a joy and an encouragement to me especially when I consider really the mission and the purpose of the whole church. Jesus in Matthew 28, 18 through 20 says, All power and authority has been given unto me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, telling them everything I have taught you, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And surely I am with you until the, end of the, until the age to come. There's your mission. There's our purpose. So maybe there have been times in my own life where I've been weak, and I haven't obeyed my part in that mission and purpose. But that doesn't mean that that mission has been derailed. Maybe there are times where you've been weak and you haven't engaged in that mission and purpose, but it doesn't mean that God's plan has been thwarted. And maybe you haven't had, maybe we haven't had the example set for us in proclaiming the name of Jesus and baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son, teaching them all that he has taught us. But that doesn't mean we can't be the first to be raised up 
and proclaim the mission of God, the mission of Jesus that he has given the church. So verses 6 through 7 are immensely encouraging to me as I read through Joshua and I see God fighting for his people. And then what do we see next? We come right out of 6 and 7 and we have verse 8. So it was their children whom he raised up in their place that Joshua circumcised. Verse 8, when the circumcising of the whole nation was finished, they remained in their places in the camp until they were healed. Once again, we see God knowing what is best for his people and providing it. There may be times in our lives where we really truly need rest and healing. And so if you're with us today, if you're joining us online, if you're listening to this and you're just, you're hurting, you're broken, you're grieved, there's a wound in your past. Maybe it's five years ago, maybe it's 10 years ago, 20 years ago. Maybe it happened to you as a child and you've been wondering, why won't this heal? I've been doing everything that I can. That, that phrase breaks my heart. That phrase breaks my heart when I, when I hear people say, I don't know why I can't get better. I've been trying so hard to get better. I've been doing everything I can to get better. And my response is always the same. Well, there's the problem. Because we can't heal ourselves. We can't mend ourselves. I've shared with you guys part of my testimony, how my brother was sexually abused by a Christian friend of the family at a Christian school that was connected to the Christian church my parents were serving in. And I refused to forgive this man for years. And I just held on to this anger and this hatred and this bitterness and this resentment. And I'd say things like, I don't know why I can't just get over it. I'm, I'm trying my hardest to get over this. And I wasn't able to forgive him until I finally broke down and said, okay, Lord, I clearly can't do this on my own. So I'm going to need your heart to heal this within me. And that was when I was able to forgive him. And that was when the weight lifted. That was when the burden changed. That was when transformation began anew. When I realized that I was trying to heal myself aside from God. And so in his plan, God may have times of healing for us. Maybe we need to break to the point of being healed by the Lord. And now in this case, we're talking about consecration. This was a, a, you know, a physical, uh, physical healing. But I think the same principle applies when you look at Scripture and you see what we know to be true about God. This is Psalms 103, or Psalm 103, 2 through 5. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Psalms 147.3 says, He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. This idea is echoed in Isaiah 61 where it says, The Lord has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. Isaiah 61, if you'll recall the sermon series on the life of Jesus, we talked about this multiple times because this is the passage in Luke 4 that Jesus reads. Jesus goes before the people and he reads, the Lord has sent me to heal, to bind up the brokenhearted. And then he says, today this passage has been fulfilled. The healing that God offers is fulfilled in the person of Jesus. So if we are pursuing healing apart from Jesus, we are missing the mark entirely. 
We see this throughout Scripture. Consider Proverbs 3, 7 through 8. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Where does healing begin? Where does refreshment begin? Where does renewal begin? With the Lord. Isaiah 41.10, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Jeremiah 17.14, Heal me, O Lord, and I shall be healed. Save me, and I shall be saved, for you are my praise. God, in his plan, in his purpose, had a deliberate time of rest and healing for the people of Israel. Maybe we need to ask ourselves, does life feel so hard because we've been trying to resist resting before the Lord so that He can heal us? Because we've been trying to pursue restoration on our own. Because we've been trying to pursue reconciliation on our own. Because we've trying to get over this grudge, this wound. I was betrayed by someone 20 years ago and I've been trying to deal with it on my own. Maybe we need to go before the Lord and say, I'm broken God, do what only you can do. Heal me. His word describes him as this in the lives of his children. But then what follows the healing? All right, so we're in Joshua 5. Joshua is out. He's studying Jericho, the city of Jericho. Bible quiz, what's coming up? Joshua 6 and 7. He's studying the city of Jericho. What is famously associated with Joshua? The fall of Jericho. So clearly, do the people stay camped forever? No. Because why does God heal us? Why does he restore us? Why does he renew us? So that we can get back in the fight. So that we can re-enter the battle. He heals us. He rebuilds for a greater purpose. I played sports growing up my whole life. Love them. Still do, right? Think about sports. Whatever sport you were in, whatever sport you played, there are times where your coach pulls you off the field. Why? To give you a breather. Maybe you didn't play sports, right? But you know, have you heard the word sports before? Yes. So this is something everybody can connect with, right? You, you have seen a sport before. You know it exists. A good coach will pull his players off the field when they need a rest. He'll give them the breather. I can think of different times where my coach would say, okay, hey, you know, whistle blows. You look over at the sideline, who's coming in? You look over at the side and you see somebody pointing at you and you're like, oh, okay, me, yep, hold your jersey. You go off, you get a rest, right? What was the thing the coach always said to me, said to the players when you come off the field? Hey, grab a drink, get a rest, stretch out because you're going right back in, right? Maybe you get injured. Maybe your time of healing needs to be a little bit longer, right? Like maybe you twist an angle and okay, now you're missing the rest of the quarter. You're missing the rest of the half, whatever it is. Maybe it's a more serious injury. Maybe your time of rest and recovery is a week, a month. So maybe we get pulled off the field for a little bit longer than just a simple breather, right? But players rest up, players recover, players refresh so that they get back on the field, back on the court. Never once in my years playing sports did I ever come off, did I ever get pulled off by a coach and say, yeah, you know what, don't send me back in, I'm good. I just wanna hang out on the sideline. And I think I'm gonna do that for the rest of the season. And honestly, it's my freshman year. I think I'm just going to stay on the sideline until I graduate. No. I was always, right, like my coach is pulling me out. I'm like, you could have left me back out there. And he's like, no, I couldn't. Get a breath, and then you're going back out. Oh, okay. 
So God gives his people time to heal. We see him camp at Gilgal for them to heal and to recover. Why? Because of battles ahead. And so maybe you're not in the first group that we just talked about. Maybe we don't find ourselves in the group of, you know what, I need some time of refreshing and healing. Maybe we've been sitting down and resting for so long, we need to be reminded that God heals us and renews us so that we can re-enter the battlefield. That He refreshes us, He redeems us for a greater purpose than hanging out on the sideline. Consider 1 Peter 2, this is verses 9 and 24. Listen for the word that. The word that is going to appear twice in these verses. Pay attention. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. He bore our sins. He refreshed us. He gave us a time of healing. He healed he redeemed, he restored. Why? He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. He renews us for a greater purpose. He called us out of darkness and into light. Why? That we might proclaim his excellencies. And so just like the people of Israel don't stay camped at Gilgal forever, church, we cannot stay camped forever. We absolutely will have times in our lives where we need to go to the Lord for healing and renewal but we should not want it to last forever where we're sitting back watching the game go by in front of us. Let's go to the Lord to be healed, to be refreshed, to be renewed, to be recharged so that we can get back in the fight, so that we can proclaim the excellencies of Him who called us, so that we can not just die to sin, but also live to righteousness. This is what we see in Scripture time and time again. And then you have verse 9, the Lord said to Joshua, today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. This is going to be, we were originally going to talk about it this morning, and then as I was diving deeper and deeper into that verse, I was like, man, this is, this is its own section. So we're going to look at verse 9 in a little bit. Uh, maybe, I think in two weeks, we're going to wind up looking at verse 9. It's going to be awesome. I, I loved diving into what God means when he says, I've rolled away the reproach from you. Uh, so be excited for that one. Make sure, make sure. And that will also be, uh, that will be a great message. If you have people in your life who you know aren't with Jesus, who don't have a fellowship with Jesus, make sure they are here to listen to that message in two weeks on the reproach of Egypt and it being rolled away. That is going to be just a powerful look at what God does. Um, and so we skip over verse 9, we come to verse 10. Verses 10, 11, and 12 talk about the people camped at Gilgal in this period of healing. They have Passover. It's a reminder of what God has done. It's part of the consecration process. It's part of the healing process. The manna that God has been providing ends because they're now eating the fruit of the land that he has promised them. So you've got these verses, and then you come to this incredible moment for Joshua. This is what's called a Christophany. And a Christophany is a revelation of Jesus, the person of Jesus, specifically in the Old Testament. And, and this is really just unbelievable to behold. And so you have verse 13. When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, No, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. 
and Joshua did so. It didn't say Jesus once. How do we know it's Jesus? That's a great question. I'm thrilled you asked. Otherwise, this slide wouldn't have made a lot of sense. But I knew you'd ask, right? So first, we can kind of just skip ahead a little bit to Joshua 6, 2, where it says, And the Lord said to Joshua. So even if you just read ahead a little bit, you see that it's Jesus. You see that it's God appearing to Joshua. But there's more. There's more evidence. And this is why I love these details, because it's all weaving together to remind us that the focal point of everything must be Jesus. You have Matthew 26. So it's referred to, he's referred to as the commander of the Lord's army. You have Matthew 26, 52 to 53. Then Jesus said to him, put your sword back into its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? If Jesus wants to, he can summon angels at his command. But there's more. Revelation 19, 11 through 16. This is, this is like top five favorite passages of the Bible for me. Revelation 19, 11 through 16. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Braveheart's got nothing on Jesus. That passage gets me fired up. Like, it's a good thing I don't have a sword because I'd probably be swinging it and trip and hurt myself. But that passage gets me fired up to follow the commander of the Lord's armies. What else? How else do we know that this is Jesus in Joshua appearing here, still staying in Revelation 19? Because get this, what does it say? When Joshua, when he comes to him and Joshua realizes who it is, it says, he fell down at his feet to worship him. And what happens? This man does not reject the worship. See, some people will say this is an angel that appeared to Joshua. But let's look at what happens when angels are offered worship. Right? One of, the, one of the principles of studying the Bible is you use what's clear to interpret what might not be clear. So when people would say, well, it's still an angel. Okay, well then let's look at what happens. What does the Bible say happens when someone tries to worship an angel? Revelation 19, 9 through 10. We back up just two verses from what we just read. Then I, John, fell down at his feet, or I'm sorry, verse 9. And the angel said to me, write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. So angel, speaking to John. Angel speaks, Then I, John, fell down at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. Then you flip forward a little bit in Revelation 22, 8 through 9. Revelation 22, 8 through 9, And I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, You must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book, worship God. One, angels aren't the commander of the Lord's army. Two, every time somebody tries to worship an angel in the, in the Bible, the angel rejects the worship. So evidence overwhelmingly points to that Joshua has an encounter with Jesus. And then finally, the final detail in Joshua 5 that we see, he says, Take off your sandals, for the ground where you are standing is holy. 
Joshua was standing there before the man was before the man appeared to him, and the ground was not holy. The man appears, and the ground becomes holy. What did we look at a few sermons ago when we looked at this idea of consecrate yourselves, and we studied this question of what is holiness? We looked at the truth that only God's presence can make something holy. An angel's presence does not make something holy. When the angels appear to the shepherds in the field, they don't say, hey, shepherds, take off your sandals because this is now holy ground. When the angel appears to Mary, he does not say, hey, take your sandals off because this is now holy ground. So the evidence overwhelmingly points to that the man that Joshua speaks to is Jesus. And why is that so important? Why is that so incredible? Because it leads to one of the greatest conversations, or rather one of the greatest questions and answers in Scripture. So this man appears to Joshua, and Joshua says, are you for us or for our adversaries? What side are you on? Are you on my side or are you against me? A or B? He says, pick, A or B. And Jesus says, no. No, that's not how this works. You don't say, hey, Jesus, are you on my side or not? You figure out if you're on my side. Joshua says, Jesus, are you for me or against me? And Jesus says, no, I'm the commander of the Lord's army. I have come for victory. And we can't overlook this church. See, the question is not, okay, God, are you on my side or not? The question is, will I, Sam, do what is necessary to be on God's side? I don't set the agenda. This isn't the schoolyard picking teams, right? Picking teams for kickball. It's not, okay, you know what? I think I'm going to pick God because I'm the captain. No, no, God's the captain. God's the commander. God's the one who sets the agenda. God's the one who gives the orders. And again, just like we looked at in verses 6 through 7, this is so encouraging to me. Hands up if you think you have the wisdom and the strength to set the agenda for the entirety of history. If I could sit, if I could sit down, I would. Right? I don't have that strength. I don't have that wisdom. Hands up if you have a heart that is so merciful that you would forgive the very ones murdering you and torturing you. That you would die for the people who you know are going to reject you. I'm not that perfectly merciful. I'm not capable of judging perfectly. God is. Jesus is. That's why he gets to be the commander, and I don't. So the question that we cannot ask ourselves in life is, okay, God, are you on my side or not? No, no, no. The answer to that question is no. The question that we have to learn to ask ourselves, that we have to learn to ask in life is, okay, what is Jesus' side? Am I on that side? I love Joshua 5. It, it is so rich and deep for all these reasons. And the other thing that we'll look at when we look at in two weeks that God has rolled away the reproach the other blessing of Jesus being the commander is that he has promised victory and he has guaranteed victory. I can't do that. I can't guarantee victory. I have guaranteed victory because of what Jesus, the commander, has done and said. So this week, as we consider this message, I want you to read three chapters, and we pulled verses out of each of these three chapters. I want you to read Psalm 103. Actually, not you. I want us. Us. I want all of us. I will be reading these as well. The elders will be reading these as well. Your leadership will be reading these. We're doing this together. We're going to read Psalm 103. We're going to read Psalm 147. And we're going to read Isaiah 41. And then the application part, this goes back to verses 6 and 7. 
This goes back to the idea of they failed to obey the Lord, so he raised up a new generation in their place. Maybe we've ignored the Great Commission in our own lives before. Not this week. Maybe we didn't have an example set for us of living out the Great Commission in our lives. That's okay, then this week we're going to be the first in our family to set the example. So this week, that command that Jesus, the commander of the Lord's army, whose side we seek to be on, he said, go and make disciples, proclaim the gospel. That's what we're going to do this week, church. Maybe we've been in a period of healing. We're going to get back in the game. Maybe we're still limping a little bit. We're going to get back in the game. We're going to proclaim the gospel this week as we follow the commander of the Lord's army. Prayer ideas, if you struggle with prayer, you know, maybe it's a, it's a prayer of thanking God for offering healing, for making healing available through Jesus. Maybe it's a prayer of thanking God for being the commander who sets the agenda. Maybe it's a prayer of thanks, God, thank you for promising victory. Thank you for being with me. Thank you for raising me up. Thank you for empowering me. Just some ideas as, as we seek to pray what Scripture says. But please now join me in prayer. God, you are good. You are, you are so direct with us, and, and I'm so grateful for that because in my own life, I can be stubborn. I can be thick-headed. I can be slow to get it. So God, I thank you that when we ask the question, are you with us or against us? You say, no, that's not the question. I'm the commander. Are you with me? Lord, teach me how to be someone who is with you as the commander. Thank you for the times in my own life when there's been healing and restoration. For the times where I'm resistant to come to you, Lord, break me of that pride. Teach me to humbly come before you, knowing that only you can provide. And then, Lord, give us a zeal to leave the camp and go to battle. Battle for your kingdom, battle for your name, battle for your glory. May this be a church that daily wages war against the gates of hell. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.